talking about the 4% rule and the pros and cons of the 4% rule. Now, some of some of our listeners may have heard um, our other uh, podcast about the 4% rule. If you haven't, you can go um, to the podcast menu and listen, listen to that. Um, so just in case you haven't heard about the 4% rule, um, back in the 1990s, um, a researcher who was based in the US, um, his name was William Bingen, um, he he did a um, he wrote a paper, a research paper on um, what a safe withdrawal rate over a typical um, retirement period might be, and he researched um, you know, based on um, historic um, market returns. Uh, he researched what that safe withdrawal rate. Might be so. For example, if you have a portfolio of uh, five hundred thousand dollars, then how much of that portfolio could you withdraw um, without running out of money during, for instance, a thirty-year retirement? And he came up with a figure which was pretty close to, but not exactly, four percent. So, for example, with that five hundred thousand dollar portfolio. Um, you could withdraw 4% of $500,000 um, every year, um, in other words, $20,000 every year, and increase that $20,000 by the level of, level of inflation um, each year to give you the same purchasing power with that amount. Um, so, that, I mean, that's, that's pretty much, in a very brief nutshell, what the 4% rule says, isn't it, John? That's, uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was um, yeah for its um, time. It was quite a quite a good little um, calculation. Yeah. Okay. Um, now today we're we're talking about well, does the four percent rule translate to um, all circumstances? Um, and of course, you know one one potential downside for New Zealanders is that um, the four percent rule was based on um, US data, so it was based, based on an American retiree, not a New Zealand retiree. Um, but John, um, can, you, can you think of any other um, issues with the 4% rule and applying, applying it um, rigidly here in New Zealand? Well, yeah, quite a few actually. I mean, you know, I think... Um, Portfolio thinking's moved on a little bit since you know the 1990s when this um, calculation was arrived at. Um, pr- some of the things that sort of work against it, I guess, are that it's um, based on historic returns for a start off, and um, while they're an indication of what might happen in the future, um, it's not necessarily exactly what's going to happen. Um, so that's a bit of an issue in itself. Um, when it was derived, it was based on a 50-50 portfolio. Um, and, of course... When you say 50-50 portfolio, John, you, you're talking about um, 50, 50% shares, 50% uh, fixed income? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, yep. So basically what we'd call a balanced portfolio. Um, but, you know, a lot of... Um, 
people wouldn't have a 50-50 portfolio for a start off. So it's um, while it was useful for that um, that type of portfolio, it wouldn't necessarily give you the same results um, if, for example, you had a um, a 20-80 portfolio, I want a portfolio with only 20% shares and 80% fixed interest. So, right. um, yeah, it could um, differ quite significantly. Um, and, of course, you know, back then they didn't have the range of investment opportunities that we've got now. And that 50-50 portfolio that they used was a lot simpler and less diversified than what we might use today. So, um, you know, we would expect probably different outcomes today. Um, it's also based on a 30-year retirement um, horizon, which, you know, is a long time, but it, um, that's not the retirement horizon you would be using for everybody. Um, okay. And typically, how would you um, decide on what, what, the, what the retirement horizon should be? Um, you, well, when, when... well, probably a, a rough rule of thumb is using uh, um, retirement um, or life expectancy tables. That's a, okay. probably about the most reliable source you could use. And, um, of course, it depends on when somebody's going to retire. So, obviously, if somebody retires in their 50s and they're healthy and fit, then they're looking at probably a 40-year horizon at least. Yep. So they need their money to last a bit longer, don't they? Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... So in that case, um, using that 4% rule, um, you could quite easily run out of money beforehand. Mm. The other thing about it, um, um, it, it is, the assumption is that um, with the 4% rule that um, you, use, you use up all your capital over your lifetime. So, well, well no, sorry, that's not quite right. The, the assumption is that the 4% rule will prevent you from running out of capital, but... Yep. If you um, end up with um, a lot of money in your estate at the end of your life, that is not necessarily a good thing. But under this um, 4% rule, it doesn't really look at that issue. It doesn't really make a decision or a, a judgment on whether you should have a, a large amount left over or a small amount, as long as it's a positive amount. That's all That's all it really aimed for. So it wasn't actually trying to determine how much you had left in your estate when you died. Okay. And that, that can always be adjusted as you move through retirement, can't it, John? I mean, um, you can, for instance, start out with a $500,000 portfolio, but then if you have great investment returns in the first, say, 10, 15 years, suddenly you find yourself with a, a much larger portfolio and yeah. Yeah. You know, even, in, even in real terms. Exactly, yeah. And the 4% rule doesn't really allow for that. It just um, is pretty much a sort of a straight line calculation and just which doesn't vary. It just allows you to take 4% out of that initial um, sum each year for your, for your retirement years. Um, hmm. It doesn't allow for any variations in returns along the way. So what you're saying is some, yeah, a lot of retirees, they'll, they'll you know, for instance, they've been, they, get, they get 15 years into their retirement and they decide, well, actually, I've got far too much in my portfolio for me to, to use based on the 4% rule. Um, either I can uh, increase my withdrawals or increase, you know, for instance, giving or helping family, family members out with education or, um, you know, 
house purchases, that, that type of thing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it gives you gives them scope. Um, and and that's the beauty of having a, an advisor-client relationship. You know, these things you can discuss and, um, you know, you, your advisor will be looking at those things every year and saying, give, giving you the options of, you know, increasing your drawings or going on a trip or, you know, allowing you to do more than what you might have thought you were capable of doing. And whereas the 4% okay. the 4% rule doesn't really look at that. It doesn't really take those into those things into consideration. Yep. So it's, it's so it's a pretty blunt instrument. I mean it's you know it's useful for its starting point, isn't it? It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a rough rule of thumb. I, that's the way I look at it and I mean you know when when you've got an a client advisor relationship um you know that is something you will be looking at with your advisor is well not not so much the percentage but how much can you sustain you know how much can the portfolio sustain in, in drawings um and this is something that has to be reviewed regularly just to see that um you're still on track you know with those assumptions okay and um there's something called sequence of return of investment returns risk, isn't it, John? Sequence yeah. of investment returns. And I think so, um, that's dead right. And um, this is something that um, the four percent rule didn't really um, look at. I mean, whether or not whether you have a start off your retirement with a really good rate of return in the first year or a really bad rate does make a huge difference on your portfolio and the ability to take out a certain level of drawings and the um, the analysis that has been done since um, the 4% rule was um, designed shows that um, if you do get off to a poor start in your retirement and you stick to that 4% rule, then the chances are you could quite easily run out of money well before you, you know, you, you before the 30 years is up. Um, so, so the sequence of returns, is really looking at um, variation in returns and timing of returns. Um, the four percent rule assumed that you got a, an average rate of return of seven point five percent per annum right through your retirement. Whereas in fact, we all know that um, returns from the share market um, vary from year to year, and the type of return you get early on does have a big impact on on you know what level of drawings you can take out of the portfolio yeah and that it, it, yeah even even if you have the same average return over that whole 30 year period um you know uh in, in different scenarios you can, you can for instance if you have a good start and a bad finish or um, a bad start followed by a good finish. You're going to end up in different places, aren't you? With in, in terms of what's left over, if anything. Yeah, and, and absolutely. Probably... I mean, the average return. You know, it's, it's been shown that the average return doesn't actually equate to the annualised return, and um, you know, the annualised return is possibly going to be lower than the average return over time. So you've got to take that into account. The 4% rule just assumed that, um, you know, you got your average rate of return and your portfolio grew by that each year. Hmm. Whereas in okay. reality, it doesn't. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of variability, variability isn't, isn't there, in the returns over years, as, as we've seen at the moment. Um, sure. And actually, but that brings us nicely on to, um, you know, in, in a market like today's market, you know, obviously, t uh, 2020 has been a pretty volatile year so far. Um, so if you're 
if you're a retiree um, just coming up to retirement now, um, what what would your advice be about you know trying to work out a, a safe uh, withdrawal rate from your portfolio? Well, that's that's a pretty good question actually because um, we've had some clients come in over the last few months, and and what you're telling um, a client. Um, pre-24 February and one post-23 March is quite a different scenario because um, at, on the 24th of March, if we'd set up a, um, I mean the 24th of February, if we'd set up a portfolio for a client, we would have been saying, well, you know, you can probably take out X amount of drawings per annum. We would have done the analysis and the projections, um, but we didn't know that coronavirus was going to have such a big impact. So, this would be something we may have to review straight away. And um, we may, may have assumed that a certain level of drawings would have been at, you know, um, sustainable based on portfolio valuation before the 24th of February. But now, after what's happened, we might be saying, well, looking at the long-term projections, you're going to, your portfolio is going to be down by X amount and um, potentially that level of drawings that we agreed on a month or two ago is no longer going to be sustainable. So, you know, we might have to put some um, levers in place that actually, you know, modify that and, um, you know, potentially look at either deferring drawings or reducing the amount if we can to start off with because of what we know is going to be a bad return for the year. Okay. So so if that client who came in, say, on the 23rd of February, um, uh came back into the office tomorrow, um, you'd be having quite a different conversation about the, yeah, the appropriate Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, what we're looking at at the moment is um, a recovery. So um, and clients or investors who come in at the moment, we'd be saying, well, it's actually not a bad time to be investing. We think potentially, you know, the, the bottom of the market was uh, um, 23rd of March and we're in recovery mode now. We don't know for sure, but we're, you know, there's a good, a, light, a strong likelihood that we are in recovery mode now. And, um, you know, we would be more confident right at the moment and looking at a client's portfolio and coming up with a, a, you know, suitable level of drawings based on their current portfolio value. Okay. Let's, let's say you've got one client um, who is retired, you know, just retired, they've, they're um, they're reliant on their investment portfolio to, to meet their day to day needs. Um, what what are some other levers that you can adjust to to make you know to help the client to to see you know to, to see themselves through the um, the market volatility? Right. Well, been happy. yeah. I, I mean, that's a, a good question. I mean things don't always go according to plan. And obviously that's why we have review meetings every year because things change. But um, what, what clients can do, um, you know, there are a number, number of things. For example, you know, when you're pl setting up a plan for somebody, you potentially will be looking at um, likely inheritances for family members and that. Now, if, um, for example, we, we've just struck a bad patch and um, portfolio values are down, we've allowed for inheritances in the plan, we might be saying to the client, well, could you possibly look at reducing the amount of the inheritance? Um, you know, because for most of our clients, the likely inheritance for, for their um, beneficiaries is 
the family home and maybe a holiday house and uh, the remaining value of the portfolio after they pass on, um, you could say, well, let's say just use up your portfolio over the next 30 years. Don't, don't allow for that in your, your um, estate. And that will give them some flexibility, mm. you know, in terms of what they can draw. So it'll give them a little bit more scope. The other thing is, I mean, a lot of people we know who are clients, they might be, have some part-time work. They might have been thinking of giving that up in the next year or two that might they might think of um carrying on doing that for a couple more years just to sort of bridge the gap you know in terms of what they can safely take out of their portfolio now and what what they were wanting to take out so you know you can fill the gap by part-time work potentially or um maybe defer some of those um one-off expenditures that you were thinking of doing this year or next year for like buying another car so there are a few levers you can pull just to accommodate and obviously the other one the the obvious one is if you if you can defer drawings or put up with a lower level of drawings for the next year do that okay so there are there are some uh some ways some shock shock absorbers i suppose you'd say to yeah that you can to uh you know just make sure you you give yourself a little bit of extra insurance or leeway to to make it through the tough times yep, and yeah yeah absolutely come through the other side yeah yeah and that that's something Excellent. you know you've got to really review every year anyway um because you know yep. conditions change okay brilliant okay well that's been a good chat today john um thanks very much we'll we'll leave the 4% rule there for now um and maybe pick it up on another podcast of ours. Yeah, I think so, Fraser. It was a good discussion. And um, I think probably, you know, if if we're looking at this sort of thing today, the 4% is just a, a, a guide and um, you've got to look at everybody's circumstances uh, individually and come up with something that's suitable for them. I mean, only use that 4% rule as a guide.